Sequel Quest, Episode 74, Avengers, Infinity War. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. Cinematic Universe has come to this. 19 movies in, and all with a snap of a finger. How silent were your theaters, guys? Because we're talking Avengers Infinity War. The most ambitious crossover event in history. Uh, how many do you compare them to? Is it the only crossover event? I'm a little impartial to Kingdom Hearts myself. All right, so tonight we are going to take this in a little different direction because we could go on for hours talking about the whole plot and going beat by beat. So starting off, let's go with the social media buildup for this movie. We'll get to all of our reviews here in a little bit. What did you know, spoiler-wise, Adam? Literally, the only thing I knew was cast like okay here's the main cast who was in this and like plot details even like how they came together was anything that was in the trailer you know you just assume Thanos shows up they got together but I really stayed spoiler free entirely I I didn't know anything that was going to happen in this movie except for who was going to show up Jeff well, and I was actually pretty impressed that it felt like the Russos and all of Marvel was really tight-lipped as far as, like, leaks and especially around Mark Ruffalo and his phone. He's like, you stay away from everything here, buddy. And so it was. It, I thought it was pretty tight as far as that's concerned, so I didn't get a whole lot of leaks. For me, the biggest thing was was just I'm familiar with the comics, and so that was kind of my biggest Spoiler, I guess, was, was that side. But outside of that, social media, yeah, like it was it was pretty tight-lipped, I thought. Colton. Uh, I am rather pleased with myself on how well I pieced the film together <laughs> ahead of time with all the stuff that was formally released. But yeah, I was able to piece a lot of stuff together legitimately, nothing stolen or bootlegged. I just Stuff that I pieced together on my own, I made sure not to share with anybody unless they specifically asked me. Like, it's safe for me to tell you what I deduced and that I felt were safe bets. Uh, the fact that we knew that Tom Hiddleston was going to be in the film and that he would be there to give Thanos the cube. And then there's just this litany of other scenes that just have absolutely no Loki whatsoever. Between that and the interview that Tom Hiddleston gave where he felt like it was time to hang things up, I was like, yeah, he's... At the very beginning of the film, Loki is going to be one of the first to die. I, I was willing to make a safe Wall Street bet on that. And boy, was I right. And people who I had private conversations with who were willing to have that with discussion with me, they were mad at me because they didn't want him to die. And I'm like, I don't want him to die either, but he's going to. And so if you haven't already deduced this, here's your spoiler warning. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> a little late. late. A little late. <laughs> it's been a week. The film is out. Moratorium's over. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this, I would assume that's, oh my gosh, you guys are actually talking about the movie? Well, yeah, that's the title of this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. So in case you didn't want any spoilers, here's your review. People die. There is action. Lots of surprises. Thanos is purple. He is. Yeah, and he's got, this metal, he's got this metal Michael Jackson glove. The Hulk is green. And yeah, if you read the comics, you should enjoy it. There are a lot of visual Easter eggs from the comics. And yeah, Go enjoy it mm-hmm. if you weren't already part of that $650 million <laughs> opening weekend, largest on record. Uh, did you see what Lucasfilm just 
put out about an hour ago? No, I did not. They put out the most beautiful congratulations because Star Wars: The Force Awakens held the previous record, and this film beat that record by ten million. They put out this wonderful, personally signed thing from Kathleen Kennedy, showing Ray handing a lightsaber over to Iron Man, and it looked so. It looked authentic. So, it, it wasn't, awesome. It wasn't I'm going to have to go like look costumes. that up. Yeah. Right. Really Isn't that kind of, though, because they're both owned by Disney. Yeah. So right. that just, I'm going like, good so job, It, it was very magnanimous, though. I like it. <laughs> it All in the, the Jeff Goldblum, pat yourself on the back. That's the... <laughs> and uh, it's, we are it's great, a tie. We? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So going into this, I... Most movies, if you've been listening to us, you know that I like the spoilers because I've been disappointed before by going in sight unseen and had my own movie built up in my head. This one, I did not. I did everything in my power to stay out of the final trailers or as certain media outlets began posting quote-unquote non-spoiler and spoiler reviews a day before the movie opened. I avoided them, so I have to congratulate, pat myself on the back there. Because I was say, I'm proud of you, Jeremy. Good job. <laughs> a lot of I know it was hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I did send a lot of those articles to myself so I could read them later. <laughs> and so I had bought IMAX tickets for Friday night, which is quote-unquote opening night. But then I realized, oh, this movie actually opened Wednesday and early yeah. Thursday, and I was like, um, I'm off work early on Thursday, so I'm going. So we went back-to-back -back nights to see this. I was glad that I didn't know spoilers going in because there were a lot of twists and turns. Well, why don't we start that with the first category even? Can okay. we talk about what the biggest surprise was for everybody, like what you just did not expect to happen? Colton, what, what was the biggest twist? I just remember how people were just gasping and the air was sucked out of the room. I knew that some of the Avengers were going to, in this case, literally bite the dust. Yeah. But it was all newbies. There was only one remote character who happened to be in phase one, but really came into their own in phase two, who bit the dust, and that's Bucky. Right. Uh, spoiler. But the Avengers that were spared were the old school ones. The originals. If you were expecting Avengers to die, you would think it's the people whose contracts are falling due and are on their way out and they need to pass the baton. No, it was the new guys. And it's up to the old guys to help try and set things right, however they're going to do it. I just, oh, that cliffhanger. I remember so many people were just gasping somewhere between devastated and being pissed when it cut straight from Thanos smiling at the sunrise to credits. Quiet credits. Have you, if you're watching MCU oh, yeah. films, they're all big and sprightly during the credits, and they got all these beautiful shapes, and you can tell it was somebody's really happy college sophomore but Photoshop no, project. But no, they decided they black went, they, with white black text. And really, really Somber quiet music. music, yeah. Alan Silvestri. Yeah, there wow. was a kid in front of me that just started shouting, Mom, I don't get it. I don't, <laughs> what happened? I don't get it. Like, he just screamed out in the theater. We're all like, oh. I half expected him to cut off when he first snapped. When it went to a white screen, mm -hmm. I thought that was going to be it. I was waiting on the credits to roll there. But, Jeremy, what, what surprised you then, if not, if not this ending of people disintegrating and disappearing? Actually, the one that caught me the biggest by surprise was the reemergence of Red Skull. We oh, finally yeah. know what happened. Yeah. And I, I, I have to confess, I knew right away it was not Hugo Weaving. Well, I, yeah, we all did. Right away. It was actually it was a guy from The Walking yeah. Dead who does celebrity impersonations. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know what, at this point... Legally, they could have taken Hugo Weaving to court and forced him to fulfill his contract, but right. it's such a small role, they went ahead and let it slide. Good on them. And even if they bring him back later down the road, just go this route. Just I mean, I have to tell on. you, though, know, that's my Halloween costume right there. <laughs> he looks so cool in that cloak. I can't wait to see the cosplay that comes it out. It looked very Harry Potter-esque. Yeah, at the beginning, yeah, when he's just all in shadow. I mean, that, that was a great the reveal. The Red really Skull, cool. he, I, he may have drunk unicorn blood, and now he's a half-life now. <laughs> right. Well, that's another thing, is that, so, because he held the Tesseract, right? Which was the pow mind gem? Space. A space gem, yeah. and the space gem somehow put him in contact with the soul gem? <laughs> it, it, it sent him it, physically from one place to another. From, from what he said is he held it in his hand, and it rejected him and sent him to this place. Why? 
his hubris. He thought he could harness the power. Cosmic punishment. Well, (laughs) and at that point, it could be because he himself, I don't think he loved anyone. So there was no way possible for him to get that soul gem. He and Artem Zola didn't have a bromance. Nothing. No. <laughs> kind of hard for his soul to pass on when it's still trapped in that computer and blown to smithereens. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good soul? point. Good point. He's, he's basically, it's kind of a Jacob Marley role. It's too late for me, a little but, I bit. Help, but I can help others. All right. Well, Adam, what was your twist? What was most surprising? It was an omission in the casting. Like I said, I went in there thinking I knew all the cast and just thought maybe... One of them was just not being heavily promoted. But the fact that Hawkeye gets a passing mention of making a deal with the government to disappear or whatever to protect his family, just they can write him out of the movie. I was like, do we dislike Hawkeye that much? Well, if you ask the fans, yes. There's just not that much for him to do. I'm sorry. Wow, that's that felt true. so bad. I was just like, I thought he would come in at the end. The last alien invasion, he said, well, I'm... I'm a regular dude with a bow and arrow. Now we're yeah, talking. And he took out like he totally took out like dozens of aliens. Exactly. And you only have eleven arrows, and I took out eleven of them. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, more than what's her name did the the Black Widow. What the yeah, heck is she around exactly. for? As, as recently as last week, though, the Russo brothers they are on the record saying we have not forgotten about Oscar caliber actor Jeremy right. Renner. Believe me, you're going to be he's, satisfied. He's with this. on a quote unquote separate mission. The wait will be worth it was the vibe I yes. got from that interview. Now, what about you, Jeff? Not so much the opening, but almost the lack thereof. Like for me to open up where Thanos has just decimated not only all of the Asgardians, but the Hulk and Loki as well. For me, like that was a very surprising way to start. Personally, because I'm just kind of like, well, you just beat the Hulk and Thor. They are the two most powerful people in all of Marvel, so it's over already. Like, why are we even going to have a movie? But they kind of, you know, went from there and kind of altered the script a little bit. But I was, yeah, I was really surprised that that that, that was how they were going to open it up with a, a decimated Thor and a emo Hulk or, or whatever. That was a very well, surprising Well, you have to start. set the stakes. You know, how much more quickly can you do it? If he beats the most powerful guys, you're just like, wow, this guy's unstoppable. He doesn't even have all the stones right. yet. Mm-hmm. And now he's taking on these guys. He has some stones. He doesn't have all the uh-huh. infinity stones. Do you see what right. I'm doing there? You guys get that? A yeah, yeah, joke yeah. There? Oh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I would agree. I mean, that was pretty impressive. When they're like, we have a Hulk. And you're like, yeah! Then, oh. Right. So <laughs> in that, is a villain who means Hulk business. Doing? Yeah, he's so methodical he? in putting the Hulk down. You know. Yeah, I don't know. He was kind of hiding, waiting for his moment. I guess. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's Hulk how the Hulk rolls. You know, he likes to hide, and he's a sneaky kind of guy. <laughs> so, did any of you catch the cameo in that opening? So tell me about this. As the the Marvel logo was kind of forming and you hear the distress call, Mm -hmm. at first I thought that was maybe Loki making that call, but it turned out it was Kenneth Branagh. The director of the original Thor. The original Thor. Also known as Gilderoy Lockhart. Yes, from Harry Potter. Let me ask this, because I thought you were going for, there's a credit at the very end of the movie that said, character from Arrested Development. (laughs) No, 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 no. That comes later. That's later in the collector's vault. Oh, okay. I actually missed that. I've seen the film twice. I missed that both times. I I missed it the second time around, too. And the Um, second time was in IMAX. (laughs) I got to give full credit to what Kenneth Branagh did in the beginning, how they did away with the music and just had that really, it really set the tone of the film to have the opening logo come in and just have the somber music and the somber distress call. It lets you know this is not going to be your usual MCU film. This yeah, we're not joking around this yeah. time. Mm-hmm. It's not just adventure. There's there's serious stakes here. So, okay, let's let's go this route. What did you not like? Let's get the negative out there first. <sighs> Colton, you've got this I, look I, on your I, face. I love humor as much as the next guy, but there were just some moments where they really overplayed their hands, specifically with the Guardians. That scene where Drax is eating the food, that could have been almost cut in half. It went on for too long. That moment where they ask him, how long have you been standing there? And he goes, an hour. That would have been the perfect spot to move on to the next scene. But it just kept going. 
Yeah. In the slow, imperceptible movement. It's funny when we talk about it now, but in that moment, having seen the film twice, it kind of dragged and felt forced for me. Yeah. I wonder, because yes. I know, like, when we were talking about it afterwards, I know Judy was kind of saying that she felt like a lot of that was, was Disney's interference, of Disney saying, okay, you got to have a tension breaker here. Because for me, that same moment, like, you, that you don't want to go to DC. Exactly. Yeah. Was yeah. in the middle of the fight scene when, what is it, you had the I am Groot and oh, oh, I'm Steve Rogers. Like, and it was funny, but it was like, why are you cracking jokes in the middle of the fight scene? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get decapitated, Cap. Oh, yeah, exactly. just standing there. Yeah. But, but that's, that's the Marvel thing. And I wonder, yeah, again, Disney, we got seven-year-olds in the audience, guys. So let's lighten the mood every now and again. Yeah. Is that what you did like, Jeff? Did you not like Cap's breakdown and joke oh, in the middle? Sure. And I mean, we talked about it with Ragnarok and even with Civil War. Like, Civil War, I felt they did it even more seamlessly. But, like, that is just what Marvel is at this point. Like, I just, for me, I just have to grow to accept it. That's what they do. It's supposed to be a, an action comedy. For me personally, the thing that I am most struggling with, because it's it's been really hard for me just to say that I think this was a great movie because of Thor. I am still wrestling with the fact that I don't think Marvel knows what to do with Thor right now because of, and I don't know if you blame it on Chris Hemsworth or you blame it all on Taika Waititi, but it's even before that, they are very uncomfortable, and they have been since the Avengers movie, with calling Thor a god. They said, no, he's not a god, he's an alien. But everything about him is godlike. Apparently, he's lived for 1,500 years. Apparently, he can breathe in space. Apparently, he is invulnerable, and that his dad was the All-Father, and blah, blah, blah. He is the god of thunder. and like, But he's not a god, he's an alien. Although his alien planet isn't really a planet at all, but just a sphere. A realm. Uh, right. Exactly. Don't think about that too much. And for me, a lot of that is very like, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's a pretty big deal if you ask me, because it's kind of like with some of those, I mean, like at the beginning, like you were talking about Colton with, with Loki, that kind of troubled me because it's kind of like, Loki is the god of chaos. He is the god of trickster. Like, so for him to deceive Thanos was... His, that's who he is. He is the, that god of... And, and not only that, which also means that he can't die. All of the Asgardians can't die because they are gods and they can come back. But it's also that tough part, which I wonder if that's also what... I mean, I know that's what they wrestled with with Justice League, is that my thought has always been the problem with any crossover is like, why do we need to team up? Just send Thor after him. Because Thor can literally... <laughs> He's, he's almost as strong as the Hulk. He's invulnerable. He can fly. He can control lightning. He throws a hammer, like everything. So it's like, yeah, why bother with anything else? So you kind of have to depower him in order for it to make sense. And yeah, again, I really wrestled with that one. Yeah, he, he lost an eye. I'm not sure he's totally invulnerable. Well, but that's that other part is that he lost an eye for some unknown reason. And then they just gave it back to him. Like was that the Russos saying like okay that I thing was really dumb let's just get rid of it. Uh, well like, we'll get in we'll get into retcons here in a little bit because there are quite a few that are great. So I in regards to your point there Jeff Loki does say that he is the god of mischief. Right. Which is he the god or the alien of mischief? I think Marvel wants you to think he's both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or just not to ask too many questions I think. There may be some double talk in what they're t doing with the Asgardians. Now, it may be because in certain regions of the world, you can't get too into different gods, religions, and things. That may be where they're going, and they're kind of sidestepping it, mentioning, but then doing some other things. But I'm not taking a huge uh, chip on my shoulder over their lack of calling Thor a god. It's more of just the way that he then interacts with Thanos and the way that dynamic, I guess, is what shifts. If he is just an alien in an alien ship and everybody gets blown up and like, oh, well, like on we go, as opposed to, no, this is a Norse god. For me, that changes things. In Ragnarok, destroying his hammer, Jolner, is still, I still can't get over that because that makes zero sense. And that somehow this axe is going to be even better and that that's going to make him be able to. And then, you know, he comes along and again, why did we bother fighting these alien guys when we could have just had Thor? Because clearly he can kill all of them by himself. 
you guys are so screwed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have a problem with that, but I did have a problem with the buildup of no one is safe and believing there are going to be some major deaths in this film. And the moment where Tony Stark gets stabbed by Thanos mm-hmm. and he's near death, so we think, and I'm literally tearing up. A guy in the theater next to me is going, Tony! He's, ta- he's yelling at the screen. And then he just patches himself up with some super armor glue. Nobody's safe. They were playing it very safe with that. Cap or Tony should have died in this movie. One in this movie, one in the next one. Loki is not a big enough death. Gamora is not technically dead. It's just, I did not like how they handled the deaths because they made it seem like there was going to be major stuff going on here. And I feel like it's all just teasing us. And I got to ask why Gamora is not dead. Yeah, you got to clarify that. Her body is dead. At the end, Thanos goes and talks to her little girl spirit. Mm-hmm. So she's still around there somewhere. Did he? Um, where yeah. was he? Where did that? If nothing else, her soul is the gem. Her right. soul formed the gem. So she, her soul is right. alive inside the gem. That's all I have to say. She's right. not dead. Well, right. and Adam, I'll build off that one. Like for me, because and, and I agree with you. Uh, like the one thing though, and that was the, the interesting thing I thought about the end is that for me, again, being familiar with the comic book, I felt like this is the only way this movie could end. If he doesn't assemble the, the Infinity Gauntlet, then why did we waste all of why do we waste the last ten years? Like he has to assemble it, and if he's gonna assemble it, that's what's gonna happen. But because he did that, like so many people died or ceased to exist that it's like they have to come back. That's the only explanation. Yeah. So for for me, like you're right. Like if if Iron Man would have died, but everybody else wouldn't have, then I'd be like, oh, are they gonna actually keep him dead? But for me. If Iron Man would have disintegrated or Captain America would have disintegrated, like for me, it's the exact same emotional content. Cause I'm like, well, he's gonna come back. Like it just means he's not gonna be in most of the next movie. All right. Jeremy, what about you? What what got under your skin? Um Jeremy loves this franchise so much. Like, yeah, there's think. there's not They're much fine. I didn't like. <laughs> I'm yeah, we're going to have to come back to me. I, I can't find <laughs> something like, I didn't nothing. like. The oh. Marvel apologist could not find a thing to dislike. Just some minor <laughs> editing issues. As I mentioned before, I think uh, some humor scenes could have been cut short a little bit, and they could have made room for a little more exposition that I would have liked. For example, mm. Nebula, uh, she escapes confinement, and she goes to the radio, and she says, meet me on Titan. We don't get that scene where she shows up on Titan and meets up with the rest of the group. When they are restraining Thanos, that's the first time we see her with the rest of the group. Uh, no, we, we do. What, where? She's the one who crashes the necromancer ship into Thanos. Really? Oh, that was Why her coming down? That was her coming down. They show her? That was her arriving? I don't know if that was her arriving, but that would be how she's introduced on Titan. Okay, just I was looking for just some scene clear. where they're like, hey, <laughs> hey, you know, this is Nebula, and this is how I mean, she where else did things. they get that ship? I know, but I just, it just seemed like she was just kind of, I just feel like there's a scene there that was filmed and didn't make it into the movie. Okay, so the only thing I can say that I didn't like was I needed more. (laughs) (laughs) I know, just you got to wait a year. Right, but there's stuff, as Colton's saying, that was cut from this film that should have been in it. There was a scene where Banner is talking with Nat while they're overlooking the Hulkbuster armor. But were they really? That's Marvel editing. I wanted to see a scene of them really talking, not just that awkward silence that Falcon was commenting on. Right. Uh, I, I wanted that, and I didn't get it, and I was a little sad about that. The other question with that is, how did he get the Hulkbuster armor? Yeah. Having him just show up on the battlefield wearing it, I'm just like, okay, how, does he have Tony's access code? How did that happen, you know? I mean, um, those, are, those are my gripes. They're and, nitpicky, but... They are. And, and one of, that's one of the things that I deduced, is that, yeah, they showed footage of the Hulk fighting in the trailer at, in Wakanda showed him running That in. was totally just a money yeah, shot. It, just like with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming showing them flying into battle together. That wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Right. But clearly a lot of stuff had been released by the studio showing that Banner was going to go into battle wearing the Hulkbuster armor. And I'm, and I'm thinking, is this one of those arcs like what Peter Parker had in Spider-Man 2 where his powers are just fizzling out just a little bit? And is there a name? Is that an actual arc where, where Banner has trouble turning into the Hulk? 
Well, the the arc I was looking at going just off the trailers is Banner and Hulk being torn apart or separated oh. in two separate beings and so banner was in the hulkbuster armor and you had the hulk also on the battlefield that would have been that would have been been something right and that was one of the things that i had an issue with was why the hulk the hulk people like the (laughs) like pure anger decided like no i don't want to fight anymore it's like what there was well he got beat up by Thanos. yeah for the first time the hulk ashamed The Hulk feels shame? Come on. He's a kid. He's a little baby. Yeah. No, he's not. He's the Hulk. Babies can feel shame. Baby. Baby talk. Baby. Based on the filmmakers made it clear that in Ragnarok, he basically was like a baby doing baby talk. He had the mind of a three year old for the most part. A mind of a bit. And so now he's a spoiled baby? Come on. (laughs) And not only that, but now you're talking about exposition. Like, I definitely need some exposition to, to lead that along. Well, and that will come in the next movie because they have said that Ragnarok, Infinity War, and the untitled fourth Avengers movie will be a full banner Hulk arc, essentially a full movie. Well, that's that. That was that question too. With like the ending, is that like what are the things that are okay to leave unexplained, and what are the things that just make it not just an incomplete movie because it was supposed to be an incomplete movie, but what what actually take away from the movie where you're like, no, you should have explained that to keep the audience on board or something like that. Like me personally, and that was even the thing that we kind of walked away with is that I felt talking about exposition again. Thanos's motivations, I felt, were really, really thin. It was literally what? that one line. It was one line in the movie where he's like, yes, I grew up on Titan and we didn't have enough food. All right, moving on. And it was just like, really? And so you're going to destroy half the universe because of that? He wants to make sure the other worlds don't suffer that fate. Have you seen right. Kingsman, The Secret Service? I saw the first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the first one. Samuel L. Jackson's character, Vincent Valentine, had the same motivation. He's like, we got overpopulation, we got a fever coming. If we don't cull the herd, we're going to have problems, and soon everybody will be dead. Right, but they say that, like, he spends more time than one line exposi- like with of exposition. Well, but Thanos, Thanos says that it's all about mercy, he's being merciful, like, all those things are explained. But he's the it's bad just guy. get his origin eventually. Why are we listening to the bad guy? It was the same thing with Gamora. Like, that was the other one that I had an issue with, is that emotional moment of, like, I got to sacrifice Gamora. So the bad guy is saying, I love this girl. The good guy is saying, you don't love anybody. Why would we believe the bad guy instead? Oh, he's crying. Oh, he does actually love her. No, baloney, man. That's like, what that makes was... him a good villain. He's yeah. conflicted. No, that was, that was poor he's... writing, if you ask me. Like, uh, that was, no way. That was, that was, again, Marvel's lack of doing like they wanted to make thanos the kingpin from daredevil but they didn't have the time or the exposition (laughs) or the quality writing to make him kingpin well they didn't have 13 hours to build him up well and that's why i still say good writing will you don't have to take 13 hours you literally just need to like you know give us a little bit more why is he explaining this to dr strange anyway like no, well, see. let's let's do this. Let's get into what we liked, and let me lead okay. off then, because to rebut what Jeff is saying, I feel like there were several moments leading up to that where Thanos, we get his pathos, we get the understanding that he is not just some mindless killer out to destroy the universe. I what would I agree. liked the most of this movie, I was very very affected by that moment where Gamora thinks she has killed Thanos and starts to cry and she's breaking down. Because we realize how deep that character is now, how many dimensions she has now. She, yes, hates Thanos is what we've been hearing all these movies, yet he was her father. He did take care of her, even though he's nuts and he's wrong. You know, like, so she's got these conflicted feelings and, like, that to me was just, that cemented the relationship. And I was like, you know what? We talked about... You know, the Coulson Award episode, if you go back to that podcast, I was like, is Thanos going to overtake Loki as the best villain in the Marvel Universe? Well, he killed Loki, for one. But now... <laughs> so in a way, he's overtaken him, yes. Yeah. But I, I really think, like, that was something where I was like, wow. And then when he does kill Gamora, 
it just adds. We got her side, then we got his side, and you're just like, this is a very, very understandable villain beyond Killmonger. Killmonger was cool, but you didn't get his tender side. You didn't really understand his pain. And Thanos, a CGI character, I feel like they did it. The filmmakers were very forthright and clear. We're talking going back at least a year. They were planning to have Thanos be the main character of this film, and he got... I, th- I think it's safe to say he got more screen time than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's, it's hard to disagree with that, but gosh, he just, he had so many conversations. One of the things that stood out to me was him telling Gamora, the home world that he quote unquote took her, rescued her from. Right. Uh, he said, those children on that world, they now have full bellies and clear skies. Might even be a little bit of a climate change allegory there. I don't know. But the <laughs> point that he's making is he genuinely believes that what he's doing is not only right, he thinks it's already working. So, Colton, what did you really like about this film outside of Thanos? Ah, oh, the Russos and, and those writers. What are their names? Stephen uh, McFe- McFeely. McFeely and Marcus. Christopher yeah. Marcus. Stephen Marcus McFeely. and McFeely, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're just so, it's so impressive how they pay attention to the little details that other writers have done in other films, and they make sure to be respectful to those arcs. Rocket Raccoon and his obsession with taking people's prosthetics. Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I, fingers across, I'm like, please have him try to make a deal with Winter Soldier. Please have him try to make a deal with Winter Soldier. <laughs> and he did it, and it was awesome. You know, all those little details. Um, but also, the way the Russos took all these characters. I'm told that there's like 27 main characters, but like 67 characters overall, somewhere in that ballpark. They took them all and gave them as much balance as I think it was possible to give. And I, I just cannot cease to be impressed by how good that was. My only real gripe is that I don't think we got enough from Captain America and Black Widow. Not as a couple, but just as individual characters. I just... And the Russos have addressed that. They mm-hmm. said they play a major part in the okay. next. That, uh, that has alleviated me. But if, I, but if I have to gripe in terms of the balance, for this self-contained film alone, I remember just feeling a little meh about that, but I'll get over it once they fulfill their arc in the next film. But I just it, it's just so amazing. I remember just thinking, man, I thought Joss Whedon had his work cut out for him with the original Avengers film. I really did back then. I'm yeah. like, well, how is he going to make that work? There's a lot of characters to bring together. Wow, that's some kind of miracle. And now here, it's like a dozen miracles stacked on, stacked on top of each other. And I just, I was just blown away from it. I just, uh, these writers and these directors are already kind of making plans for what they're going to do next with their own possible individual studios once they finish their work with Marvel. And I can't wait to see that because what they've done here, they've just done so well. This is not a brain dead popcorn film where you see it and then forget about it a week later, like the Lost World Jurassic Park. <laughs> no offense if you like that movie, but I, I always use that as an example. All right, Jeff, what what did you like? What did you walk away from this liking? Yeah, well, the funny, and it sounds like this is a negative, but it is actually a really a positive, is that uh, from the beginning, when they first kind of introduced that this is all going to be about the Infinity War, I was like, oh, Lord, because of all of the crossovers, Infinity War, for me, is as, is the least compelling for the problem that, once you assemble the infinity gauntlet, you are omnipotent. And so you cannot be defeated. The only person that can defeat someone who's omnipotent is themselves. So that being said, I thought this was like, I was walking away. I'm like, could they have told that story? Cause that's a tough story to actually make it sound like that's a challenge. The only way you can make it sound like a challenge is if you try and stop him from getting the gems in the first place. And that's exactly what they did. So I love that. I thought they told that one really well. Um, and then when he finally gets it together, again, that ending, I thought the ending hit right on point. And then the other thing that I liked is, especially being a comic book fan, comic crossovers are kind of clap. That was a lot of C's. Comic <laughs> crossover. Nope, can't even say it anymore. A trope of the, the crossovers from comic books are you, you do always end up getting like groups of heroes, like random groups of heroes that have different parts of the mission that are all kind of fighting at the same time, doing different things and stuff like that. And that's definitely what you had in this movie where you had, you know, you had what Groot and Thor and Rocket, they were off trying to make the super weapon. You had uh, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and the Guardians and Tony Stark, they were on Titan. And then you had Captain America and the rest. And all of them were separate doing their own thing. And they all had a chance for victory. And you were kind of like, yeah, I can totally see how like, 
Iron Man's gonna actually do it. They're gonna actually win. They're gonna get the gauntlet off. And then you got, you know, like Thor is making his super weapon. And like, I thought that was very true to that comic book feel. So I really love that part too. How about you, Jeremy? Can I just say the whole movie? Uh, (laughs) Mostly, okay, so... What nuance? Yeah, well, mostly it was a lot of the Easter eggs. Like when we have Loki repeating the Tony Stark words from Avengers, we have a Hulk. Or the Hulk playing the role of the Silver Surfer crashing into Doctor Strange's sanctum to announce Thanos. A great lead into the main title. Seriously. Very good. So effective. And then you also... <laughs> um, you... This must be a good one. It is. It is. Uh, uh, you had Ebony Ma say, you must be great with children as a magician. My theater lost Where it. Where Tony said... calls him Squidward? Yeah, what the well, theater there was lost that. it. When they were like, get lost, Squidward. But I'm talking Ben... Benedict Cumberbatch, he was on Jimmy Kimmel's show in full Doctor Strange gear, and he's sitting on a couch making balloon animals for children, and they reference it in the movie. This movie is so overwhelming for me. So many (laughs) synapses firing. But when they're in the collector's realm of nowhere, and Thanos has just revealed himself that it was the reality gem, she'd killed a fake Thanos and everything, and then you have Mantis and Drax jump out, and he just squeezes his fist, and Drax falls to a million pieces, like he was cut up by lasers, and Mantis is in uh, curly cues? I don't, I don't know how to yeah, describe basically. it. I, I, was, I didn't Ribbon. thought they were dead. Yeah. Oh, ribbons. Yeah. Ribbons would be a good description. That's straight from the comics. That's Thanos when he's holding the gems. He's mm-hmm suspending characters in a near-death state, and that's one of the things. It was a visual cue. Yeah. Even when we find Nebula, when she's on a ship, and from the head on, she looks like she's just floating, and then as they turn, you see all of her parts mm-hmm. spaced out in a state of between yeah, life and death. Cool visual. It was a good call back terrifying. to the comics. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a call back to the comics where she was held in a state of life and death on the line. I experienced a little bit of that David Cronenberg body horror dread when I saw Nebula in that yeah. state. Jeremy, you, you were laughing. This film had you laughing. I feel like we should maybe get closing out on the comedy that we really felt worked because that was a big part of, like Jeff said, that's a part of the formula. And that was something that was being touted about the film, that there were a lot of laughs. Is there a particular bit that you guys feel was very successful, at least from the audience reaction? Could be just for you personally, but like I know in my theater, the whole segment with the Guardians and Thor and Quill feeling inadequate next to Thor, that was the biggest laugh of the whole film in my theater. People loved that whole sequence, just constantly cracking up. Wait, are you you lowering your voice? You're trying to say, no, I'm just sorry to talk all the time. (laughs) Are you mocking me? Well, and the other one that kind of comes from that moment is Thor calling Rocket Rabbit. The yes, whole time. Yeah. And Ra- and Rocket not having the balls to say, yo, uh, my name is Rocket. Yeah, never corrects him. Yeah. He just goes with it. Seriously, they are my new favorite BFFs, Thor and Rocket. They just, I loved their interplay. So well, much. and even Groot. Mm-hmm. And the whole, like, wait, you can understand him? It's yeah. an elective on Asgard. It was I an elective. <laughs> What about for you, Jeff? Did you have a big laugh out loud moment? Yeah, well, I think Thor and Guardians, what, like, it's like a pirate and an angel had a baby. That was pretty good. (laughs) The one I probably laughed at the most. Colton? Uh, You guys already mentioned all the really good ones, but there were a lot of them. Uh, Like, just the fact that Peter Parker just keeps on saying, this really old movie, and it's not that old. (laughs) But it is to him, because he's like, what is it, Generation Z? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, he's uh, 15 or whatever. 15, yeah. 16. Yeah, so I, <laughs> the kid's seen more movies. Whoosh. He goes out the, <laughs> the airlock. But I also have to say, I got a nice, me and the, my whole theater twice, got a nice hearty laugh from Winter Soldier picking up Rocket Raccoon and spinning in a little circle, taking like, on the <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Almost like the, the Groot scene. 
Yeah. When he's on Groot's shoulder and they're in the prison. Literally, the only full-on cheering that happened in the theater the whole movie was when he and Rocket and Groot made their triumphant landing in Wakanda. With the Bifrost. Yeah. yeah. Um, which apparently now he has full access to with his new act. Yep. That's great. That's very handy. And I just, I led the applause. Nobody else was applauding when that happened. I'm like, that's insane. This is amazing. And everybody joined. <laughs> that's the only time in my life I've ever led the applause in the theater. Because that was, that was awesome. It, it, it was fun, especially when Banner's like, oh, you guys are so screwed. He should, have, he should have said, we got a freaking god on our side. You're all a bunch of squiddies. Yeah. No, no, an alien, an alien. Uh, so what, well, for what us, was it, was the, it was the cheer when, when Captain America showed up to save uh, uh, Vision and, and uh, Scarlet Witch. That yeah, should have been a cheer. And he comes out of the shadows after having... I wanted the... to cheer for that, but nobody else in my theater would cheer for that. that was, <laughs> I felt so cheated. When they didn't cheer for that, that was an amazing shot. You were in the wrong theater, well, yeah, man. twice. Yeah, exactly. I went and saw it in IMAX 3D. I'm like, you people paid money for this. Be a little happier. Plus, I think we had a lot of teenage girls, so seeing Captain America with his his new beard, yeah, they enjoyed well, that. Well, and yeah. let me call attention to this because that was my one uh, non-spoiler review I let out before all of this is. There is so much facial hair in this movie. It made me realize every hero has their signature facial hair. You got Doctor Strange. Except Peter Parker. Thor, He's still... You got... Yeah, right. exactly. He's not old enough to shave. Shave it one. Yeah. Star-Lord. Everybody. Tony Stark, of course. And now Cap with his beard. I was just like, facial hair in the Marvel Universe go hand in hand. Even Thor called that out mid-battle with Cap. He's like, Cap, my beard. I see you've copied my beard. <laughs> but speaking of Doctor Strange, I have to say also, Doctor Strange calling Tony a douchebag was hilarious. Because it it's like takes one to know one, you know? <laughs> and he's just, I love their interplay. The clash of those three egos of Tony Stark, Star Lord, and Doctor Strange, that was worth right. the ticket price alone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny too, and I was thinking about it afterward that, yeah, that like both in the comics and the, in the movies, you had. Tony Stark and uh, Stephen Strange, who are defined by their arrogance, and to put them together, right. yeah, was even because with with Peter Quill, I guess he's arrogant, but he's arrogant in like a no one takes him serious. He has no reason to be arrogant. Right. Whereas the two of them probably could. So he's just one sandwich away from being fat. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was uh, so looking dude. a little more like Andy from Parks and Rec there. Uh. Well, now let's end here on, you know, this is a summer blockbuster. There's always the question of how do you up the ante? How do you make it bigger, better? For you guys, what is the action moment, the fighting moment, whatever, that you walk away from and say, okay, that was something I hadn't seen before or something I wasn't expecting or your fist pump moment? So what was the airport scene of this movie? I guess for me, it was how close they got to getting the gauntlet off of Thanos' arm. That was an Uh epic scene for me. Yeah, the popping in and out of portals and Uh, everything. Doctor Strange multiplying himself, all that good stuff for me. That's my big takeaway. Mm. And I can't help but agree with the internet that Star-Lord kind of screwed it up. Oh, yeah. kind of? <laughs> I mean, it's the reason that we don't have a universe anymore. Yeah. Well, we have a universe. Well, half There's of us aren't here. Right. <laughs> but yeah, in, in that moment, Star-Lord pooped the bed. And uh, yeah, he did exactly what Drax, what he was telling Drax not to do in the scene earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, for me... This was, you could consider it a smaller moment, possibly, but, you know, obviously the whole thing is, we talked about Banner can't turn into the Hulk, he's in the Hulkbuster armor, so he's facing the, quote, big guy on Thanos' team. I don't know any of those characters' names, I don't care. (laughs) CGI, Thanos, thugs. But when he's... But the big guys on top of Banner beating him, beating him, you know, the, uh, the hand of the Hulkbuster armor gets ripped off. And then basically he just attaches the hand to the guy and shoots it off like a rocket, drags him across the top of the Wakandan force field until he bursts. I was like, that is inventive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Banner's like, whoa. You know, I was like, yeah, whoa. So that was pretty cool to me. I was I was excited by their creativity. I haven't done murder like that since Sakaar. <laughs> uh, what about for you, Jeff? What stood out for you? Yeah, well, for me, it was funny. Like like you were talking about, Adam, with the whole up the ante thing, which which was one of the things I was nervous about coming into this movie is the fact that it was like, eventually you run out. Like if your goal is always to 
top yourselves, you end up, you know, with Attack of the Clones and Yoda flipping around the room like that's supposed <laughs> to blow us away. And so for me, I don't think because and I heard a review even before I went to go see it. They said that, like, it's basically if you like the airport scene from Civil War, this is one long airport scene. I disagree with that. I don't think anything in this topped the airport scene. But the one moment that did have me go, whoa, was like like Colton mentioned about where Doctor Strange multiplied himself, which, which again, which is an interesting way they played that because Thanos like just snapped his fingers or whatever and it went away almost instantly. So we didn't get to enjoy it for very long, but it was pretty impressive that they did that and like that it was like, hey, this could actually work. Oh, no, it didn't work. Like that was that was that was pretty cool the way they did that. Yeah, Doctor Strange's fighting style in general, ever since his movie, is my favorite of the whole Marvel universe. I love everything he does. You know, the sling rig, whatever. Like, it just looks so cool to me all the time. Did you guys notice that he nearly took a punch he couldn't recover from? It was uh, using the power ring or whatever. It, he nearly knocked him out of his body. He did for a second. Oh, really? Knocked oh, his astral form out of his body. <laughs> That's uh, cool. That. Yeah, it's a, it's a blink and you miss it. Yeah. But I caught that as being very interesting. And that would have really thrown Doctor Strange off yeah. after that happened. Now, okay, l- let's jump into this because there is one critical moment here that is very, or, well, supposedly controversial, but Star-Lord's taking all the heat for it. But yeah. uh-huh. Doctor Strange, for as arrogant as he was, and for his adamant stance of, I must protect this at all costs, your life, the kid's life, are of no importance to me. The stone is the only thing that matters, and my protection of it. And That was before at, he peeked into the future. Though. Yeah, then he... Went into the future, saw 14,650 different variations, and one route to victory. And when Thanos is about to finish Tony off and says, I hope they remember you, Doctor Strange offers up the stone, and this is the only way. Yeah, I was wrapped up in the anger over the fake out of Tony dying. But then after the fact, a few days later, I was like, okay, I see. Now Tony is essential to that one scenario see, where you we see, though, win. I don't think that's what it is. In the battle to get things back to normal, he's going to have to sacrifice himself. You know what yeah, I mean? very much. My thought is, what if it? I, I think, what if it has nothing to do with Tony Stark? What if it only has to do with... Thanos needs to assemble the gauntlet. That's somehow, which is why it took him a million computations or whatever it was to figure it out. He has to get the all of the stones in order for us to win. That's the only way that it works. But the only way it's going to make sense is if I'm giving it up for a reason. So it, I, I'm thinking it could have nothing to do with Tony Stark. It could have to do with he actually has to win. No, there's there's too much laid into this. And if they don't pay it off with Tony Stark being a key to this whole thing, they're going to have a lot of disappointed people. Because, well, he's going to mm-hmm. be a key. Well, and it's that thing, too, that I was wondering is that part of what these movies have to do is they have to transition us to the new Avengers because Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth, like, they're all done. And, like, they don't want to make movies for all eternity anymore. So they have to kind of get them out of the way. But I was thinking about, like, if you kill them off, like you were saying, Adam, it kept make me make me think if they would have actually killed Iron Man, you have to bring him back. Like, in the comics, nobody dies, dies. Because if he dies, dies, then every movie that comes after will be in the hope of like, oh, is Iron Man going to come back? Is Iron Man going to come back? Because he has to. They always do. They never die in the comics. Yeah, I don't know. I could see them phasing him out in some heroic manner in the next one and them recreating reality and recasting. They've talked about that. I don't think that would go over well. That's what I've been expecting. Probably a gap before the next actor comes in. Right, because you kind of have to miss someone, kind of like the Batman movies have we've discussed. You had to give some time for people to forget them, to bring somebody new in. All sorts of variations like that. 
Yeah. Now, the interesting thing, as far as the future is concerned, is Marvel television. Is that because, what is it? They just had an episode of Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they referred to the disturbance in New York. Yes. So, like, they're going to have to pick up right then and there. But, like, Daredevil, as far as I know, Daredevil is done filming their next season. We got Luke Cage coming up. We got, like, like all of these... Like you guys said, I guess Ant-Man and Wasp is supposed to be before this takes place. Correct. Captain Marvel is supposed to take place in the 90s. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess we only have a, a year to wait, but like there's a lot going on in this year. And potentially everything TV side could be coming out set after the next Avengers movie. So after everything's been reset, then that's when they take place. I, I don't know exactly. They haven't been clear on anything, but I'm glad they did one retcon. Actually, before we change topic, Doctor Strange did make it clear that he was trading the stone for Tony's life specifically. Right, that's what he game. told Thanos. We're right. in the end game now. We're in the end game. Right, right. So but uh, the, just make it sure we put the, that out there. Right, but that's also the thing is, though, for me, is the fact that he then didn't tell Tony anything. So it's just kind of like if Tony is actually the key to success, you figure you say something to the guy. Hey, make sure that you save so-and-so. Make sure you go to whatever. But he said absolutely nothing, which I don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, who remember knows, the Oracle but... and the Matrix. Sometimes you just have to tell people only exactly what they need to hear. Nothing more, nothing less. Right. To, and who's to, to say that Doctor Strange doesn't... Yeah. Uh, we saw his body dissipate, but maybe his... Oh, Astral form? I yeah. don't know. So it's possible. There's one possibility I want to get into. But stick a pin in that on what happened to people's bodies when they disintegrated. Because we probably should ask a little bit about that. But to agree with Jeff, one of the gripes I have is that before the battle, their battle with Thanos even began, he got a nice, clean look into the future. And he didn't think to go, hmm, maybe I should have Star-Lord stand over there while we take care of business. <laughs> He can just go and be in the corner over there, and the rest of us grown-ups will help take care of things. I felt like that was a really easy out for Doctor Strange to fix the whole equation. Potentially. Because, uh, But in the end, the universe has endless variables, and who knows what else might have happened. Uh, as for what happened to their bodies, can I share a very brief theory that I think is really uh, compelling? I think we're, I know where you're going, but go for it. <laughs> uh, it is a confirmed fact that Tom Holland will have a cameo in the Venom movie. Uh, remember that awkward interview where really? Amy Pascal was saying, yeah. oh yeah, the Venom movie and those movies, they'll be kind of adjacent to the Marvel Universe and Kevin Feige just side-eyes her. We all thought that he's like, uh, you're saying something that I don't agree with. Uh, I think the side-eye now was, you're saying something I don't want people to know yet. I'm mm. thinking it's possible Tom Holland might make that cameo because he got sent to a different universe, one that's controlled by Sony, and then he'll make <laughs> his way back later. What do you think? Mm, I want to rebut that. Uh -huh. The cameo has been described as he was on set for one day and it's going to be a quote-unquote TV report and that's the cameo. Well, I wonder so, though too because I thought okay. there was, there not there legal, I thought that was like the legal reason why they couldn't use Garfield was because they're legally not allowed to cross. So for like, could they even show a Tom Holland Spider-Man? Tom Holland's contract is with Sony. It's not with Disney. Uh, correct. Yeah, oh. he's he's loaned to Marvel. Yeah. Interesting. So he theoretically would continue as Spider-Man once Sony reclaims the rights. Well, they still have like, the rights. They just right. made a deal right. for deal X number over. of films right. and X number of cameos, etc. But once that wraps up, they can be like, okay, we're taking our marbles and coming home. Tom Holland, you're coming with us. Yeah. Huh. Huh. So there, there's that. Um, now, as for retcons, did everybody catch Tony Stark making a correction from Spider-Man Homecoming when Stark said, it's been six years since those yes. aliens came down, rained down. That and... makes it so that Homecoming took, takes place two years after Infinity War. That's just bonkers. Uh, well, no, they just corrected that screen, wait, wait, wait. essentially. They, they wish, the director has come out and said, I wish I'd never have put that in there just due to timeline things. But they, so what was they it? essentially it said eight years it. in. Okay. Yeah. Right. It said eight years in Homecoming. Yeah. They need to go okay. for the digital copies. Go and see if they can wipe that out because I know for a fact studios can do that. They uh, yeah they Batman have. v Superman. They they've done a lot of color gradient yeah. and stuff as well with that. So here's hoping Sony can do that for Spider-Man Homecoming at least digitally. Yeah. 
to alleviate my headaches. So speaking of not quite retcon, it's more of just, I feel fairly confident from watching the trailers to this movie is that Thanos looked distinctively pink, if you ask me. So I feel like in this movie, he was purpler than he was in those trailers. Yes, each commercial, so? yeah, each each release of the trailers, he progressively got more purple. He got purpler. Because yeah. the funny thing is, and, it's, and you can find it online when they showed the different Thanoses that they've used over the years, is that he was much, much more purple when he was uh, back with, like, in Avengers and even in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was a little more blue, I think, with Guardians of the Galaxy. But then, yeah, the first one where... It, that first trailer, when he was, like, peach-looking, I was like, ooh. It, it's all no. about the lighting. And, Just... and also, in this film, <laughs> yeah. his eyes are way beadier than they were in previous Oh, are they? Yeah. Way mm. beadier. You, you almost can't even see their color. All right, any final words? What what did you give this? What kind of rating? Colton, where is your final review on this? Again, I'm that guy who does not want to do get Phantom Menace. I do not want to be a blind hype trainer. <laughs> In all my time being on this show, I don't think you've ever heard me give a 10 out of 10, correct? I No. You've gotten close with a 9. This is my first 10 out of 10. All right. Wow. It's always going to be minor little fluffs here and there, but I'm going the full 10 out of 10, and I'm not regretting it. So, wait... So for context, Colton, give me another superhero 10 out of 10. <sighs> superhero 10 out of 10? Yeah, so like First Avengers, was that a 10 out of 10? I remember. Um, or is that now? Would you give it a 10 out of 10 now? I didn't actually rate that one that I thought about it. But I will tell you one other superhero film where the moment the film was over, I knew I'd seen an instant classic, and that was The Dark Knight. That, that would okay. be a definitely a 10 out of 10. And I had that same feeling coming out of the theater 10 years later. And I'm about to say something that I've never said about any other film ever before. The moment the pre-order is available for the digital copy, I'm getting it. I've never <laughs> done that before. I am absolutely doing it this time. All right, Adam? Well, see, here's the thing. I'm not as up on the film as Colton is, and as you guys seem to be. I, as I mentioned, I was disappointed by the fact that they didn't go as epic as I felt they could have with really making some serious deaths occur. And uh, I almost feel like you know, the story that I cared about was Thanos and Gamora. They could have put that in you know, the same emotional weight and story into a Guardians of the Galaxy film. And I would have felt more excited by it. And it would have been just as intense to me. I didn't feel like this Infinity War event film warranted the gravity that they gave there. And at the same time, I guess I just... All of the characters in the film seemed muted. Nobody seemed like they were 100% at home like they would be in their own films. So to me, I was not blown away by the movie. It certainly made me think. And it gave me some emotional beats that maybe I haven't gotten in a Marvel film in a while. But at the same time, it's not one of those where I'm like, oh, I'm always going to go back and watch Infinity War. Because I don't think it does anything the best of any Marvel film. So I'd have to give this kind of my average rating, you know, a 7, 7.5. I think it's fine, and I applaud the Russos for what they did. But to me, it is not this gigantic event. Maybe I'll change my tune when Avengers 4 comes out. But for now, 7.5. Wow, I was not exactly expecting this from you, Adam. Granted, this is just part one of a two-part story, so there are some cliffhangers that probably wouldn't be there if it was one movie. All right, Jeff, where do you fall? I feel like this is, now I will say kind of along Colton's lines, is that something that I have not done with another single, well, no, I take it back. The only other superhero movie I've done this for was Thor, where I felt like, man, I need to see this one again. And I actually do. I need to see this one again to, to fully get some of the, the, I don't know if I would say nuances, but just the feel for it and everything. I'm not comfortable doing a 10. I feel like this is maybe a step below, oh gosh, no, you know what? It's not a whole step below Winter Soldier and those one those game changers. Because I think this was a game changer. And I feel like this was the breath of life that Marvel may like may have needed to kind of liven things up a bit. So I, I, I can't do a 10 out of 10, but I will give it like a 9.5. All right. 
I am right there with you, Jeff. It's a 9.5, maybe a 10. Um, I've seen it twice. I really want to go see it again. Same here. <laughs> I've never done a third round with any film before. Wow. I want to do it with this one. Well, when it's $12.50, man, how, what kind of jobs uh, do they think I have? Come on. Pass. I'm doing I know. Pass. I know. Yeah. As long as they're still afloat, it's an option. Uh, and as long as you got it six months ago and not now, oh. now they're making it so you can only see four films a month. I'm still on the movie. All right. Well, go out and enjoy this movie again, hopefully. And we will be back next week with a birthday special movie. So join us on our next sequel quest. And until next week, you should have aimed for the head. enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast sequel quest where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises find sequel quest on itunes soundcloud or at sequelquestpod.com now